0: Hey, I'm Zach, I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with, and if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at restoreaustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Happy Easter, everyone. I am so glad to be joining you this morning, even though we are not together in person. We are gathered together online, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing after kind of a hard week as well, right? Um, Man, the weirdest Good Friday and Holy Saturday that I can ever remember, but also one of the sweetest Easter Sundays I can remember as it's been a really difficult week. If you didn't know, as of this morning, over 100,000 people have died from coronavirus worldwide, more than 20,000 in the U.S. alone. And over 12,000 of those U.S. deaths occurred just this past week on Holy Week. I was scrolling through Twitter a couple of days ago and I saw a pastor commenting on this rising death toll in our country. And he said, Easter Sunday couldn't have come at a better time. After a week filled with so much death, this is the perfect time to talk about life after death. Perfect time to talk about life after death. I know that he was well-intentioned. I know that that tweet was supposed to make me feel better, but it just didn't. I don't know about you guys, but I've been sad, like really, really sad. My heart's been broken. It's been breaking as I think about how this cruel disease means that people have to die alone, not surrounded by family and friends, around a hospital bed like normal. Even that is awful, but this one, the cruelty of this disease means that to limit the spread of it, you have to be completely isolated and alone as you pass away. My heart breaks when I think about that. It breaks as I think about everyone grieving the loss of loved ones. It, it breaks for the 17 million Americans who have lost their jobs over these last three weeks, about 10% of the workforce in our country. It breaks for those who are struggling because they've been deemed non-essential, and for those who've been deemed essential but desperately wish they could take a break. My heart also breaks because I can't be physically with you all this morning. You see, Easter Sunday is like a family reunion for me at Restore. Everyone is together, right? All together, all at once. It's a Sunday where even people come back that have been gone, people that have moved away are in town, and I give out so many hugs on Easter Sunday. My heart breaks because I can't give you a hug right now. I'm sad, I'm sad this Easter Sunday. And the hope of everything being better just someday in heaven, it doesn't feel like enough for me right now. I've been told my whole life that the resurrection of Jesus is supposed to give us life after death, but what about life before death? What about hope and help right here and right now? These questions have hung over me over the last couple of weeks. What about life before death? What about life and hope right now? In church circles, they call Easter Sunday the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday for pastors. We start preparing for it months in advance. Our staff knew back in January, based on the amount of people that had been coming to Restore and kind of the growth that we were having, that we would need more chairs and we would need extra parking this Easter Sunday. So we made plans to get more chairs. We talked to some of our neighboring businesses over on South Congress about using their parking spaces and even prepared to rent golf carts so we could shuttle people back and forth from those extra parking lots that were kind of far away. But in early March, we put all those plans on hold and then a few weeks ago, we canceled them all together. But it's not just logistics that pastors prepare for on Easter, right? We also plan the gathering itself. We ask, what cool stuff can we have this year on Easter to highlight what an amazing day Resurrection Sunday is? A few years ago, we did baptisms on Easter. Ross, Jennifer, Cece, Jaden, and Connor all decided to publicly declare their faith in Jesus that day. It was a beautiful, beautiful morning. Those five amazing people got into a trough filled with cold water, a makeshift baptismal, and we celebrated them with clapping and cheering and tears of joy. I know we'll do baptisms again, but we can't do them this Easter. One of the things we love to do at Restore is take communion together around huge banquet tables we set up all over our meeting space. We pass around the grapes and the crackers and everybody grabs one. But before we eat, we take a second and we look each other in the eyes and we just take in the beautiful diversity of God's family as we stand around those tables. People who are different in every way imaginable, but united through Jesus. Y'all, I know we'll do communion around those tables again, but we can't do it this Easter. Every year after the gathering, all the kids go to the football field and we do a huge Easter egg hunt. For my five-year-old and tons of other kids, it's one of their favorite moments of the year at church. I know we'll do the Easter egg hunt again, but not this Easter. And then, of course, for pastors who teach regularly like me, we get so excited about prepping the message each year. On a normal week, every pastor has a different rhythm, right? Some prepare everything the week of, some prepare weeks in advance, but for Easter... No matter your normal rhythm, every pastor starts thinking about this message weeks, if not months in advance. Usually, I have a really clear idea of where God is leading me, but not this Easter. Over the last couple of months, this message has changed dramatically no less than five times. I have read and reread the accounts of Jesus's resurrection from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So many times, I'm close to having all of them memorized now. Last week, I taught about lament. This process of of passionately expressing our grief, our anguish, our sorrow to God and to others. Lament is such a beautiful and important practice, but it's not easy to write an Easter message while you're doing it. I've, I've been sad I don't know about you, but I've been sad this week. So on Monday of this week, I sat down to read through the accounts of Jesus' resurrection from the Gospels yet again, burdened by those questions I couldn't get out of my head. What about life before death? What about hope for right now? And as I read them on Monday, something I'd never noticed before hit me like a ton of bricks, I was so sure I was wrong, so I read through them all again another time, but but there it was again. I realized that none of the accounts of Jesus' life and resurrection talk about a future hope for the believer. None of the accounts of Jesus' resurrection talk about a future hope for the believer. Or to put it another way, none of them make any mentions of Christians having life after death. I obviously believe in life after death. I'm excited about life after death. And I knew other places in the Bible tied our life after death to Jesus's life after death, but I couldn't believe that it's not in any of the resurrection accounts. Even after rereading them, I still felt like I missed something. So I went looking for confirmation from people way smarter than me. And here's what I found from someone considered to be one of the preeminent biblical scholars of our time, N.T. Wright. He says this, A strange feature of the resurrection accounts is the fact that they never mention the future Christian hope. Almost everywhere else in the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is spoken of in connection with the final hope that those who belong to Jesus will one day be raised as he has been. Despite a thousand Easter hymns and a million Easter sermons, the resurrection narratives in the gospel never ever say anything like, Jesus is raised, therefore there is a life after death. Let alone Jesus is raised, therefore we shall go to heaven when we die. Nor even in a more authentic first century Christian way do they say, Jesus is raised, therefore we shall be raised from the dead after the sleep of death. No. Insofar as the event is interpreted, listen, Easter has a very this worldly present age meaning. Jesus is raised, so he is the Messiah and therefore he is the world's true Lord. Jesus is raised, so God's new creation has begun. Not Jesus is raised and God's new creation will begin someday. No, no, no. Jesus is raised and God's new creation began right then and right there on a hillside outside of Jerusalem in the first century AD. Now this might sound a little strange to you, but the fact that all of the attention in the gospel accounts is focused on how the resurrection of Jesus brings help and hope right here and right now, not just someday in the distant future, has been incredibly good news for my soul this week. It's been exactly what I've needed. Good news. Did you know that's what the word gospel actually means? Good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the gospel accounts because they are the story of the good news of Jesus. A few years ago, I heard a writer and activist by the name of Lisa Sharon Harper say something that forever changed the way I understand this concept of the gospel, the good news. She said, if the gospel isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. If it's only good news for people who are dead, it's not really good news. And if it's not really good news, then it's not the gospel. And especially in this pandemic-plagued world that we are all stumbling through right now, I am convinced we need to be reminded of the truth that the resurrection isn't solely or even primarily about life after death. It's about life before death too. Jesus came to give us life and hope right here, right now in the present tense. I didn't make this up. I'm quoting Jesus. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So that's what we're going to talk about with the rest of our time together this Easter morning. What does it look like to experience the abundant life Jesus desires for us, not just someday in heaven, but right here and right now? Let's start by looking at one of those gospel accounts we've been talking about. This one was written by Jesus's best friend, John. Here's how he remembers it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. When it says that they saw and believed, it means they saw and believed Mary Magdalene, that Jesus was gone, that the body had been stolen, that something had happened to their friend who had died. Mary Magdalene, another one of Jesus' best friends, right? She had gotten there first because she'd gotten up really early Sunday morning to get to the tomb. They would have been observing the weekly Sabbath on Saturdays, so they've been prevented from doing any kind of work, including visiting a tomb and doing things like preparing a body or making sure that it had the right spices or the ceremonial stuff that had to happen. And so she wakes up really early morning, heads uh, early Sunday morning, heads to the tomb to make sure all that stuff is correct. But instead of finding the dead body of her friend, Mary finds an empty tomb. Jesus is gone. She runs and back and tells Peter, and they run to confirm it. Sure enough, Jesus isn't there. They have no idea what happened. Mary obviously thinks someone has stolen the body. So verse 10 says that Peter and the other disciple, they go back to where they were staying. Now, that verse seems like kind of just a, a throwaway detail, but it's actually incredibly, incredibly important. Because that's how we understand, and from the next passages too, that all of Jesus' followers, his disciples, his closest friends, are staying together in one house during this time. They are in hiding. Their friend and teacher had just been killed by the Roman government at the request of the Jewish religious leaders. The Roman government, the Jewish religious leaders, the two most powerful entities at that time, had just killed their friend. And so they are understandably afraid that they are going to be next. But Mary doesn't go back with them. She's so distraught that someone has stolen the body of her friend that she can't even move. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. Now remember that. He said, don't hold on to me. I I gotta do the ascension. I gotta go back to God in heaven. I, I I have to return to him. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. She said, I have seen the Lord and she told them the things he had said to her. So Mary sees the risen Jesus and her sorrow turns to joy. Her her Lord and friend, the body is not stolen. He is actually alive. And she runs to tell the disciples what had happened. He's not stolen. He's been resurrected. Such a beautiful story. And that is where we usually stop reading. But I actually think the next three verses are the most profound in the whole story. Here's what they say. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were all filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. Now, the implications of this verse are incredible. Jesus sees his friends stuck in that house, feeling isolated, feeling afraid, and he goes to them. We just read what he told Mary, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to the Father. I have to go back into heaven. Jesus has just overcome the grave and risen from the dead. He is preparing to leave earth and return to heaven when he decides to make a detour. He sees that his closest friends are isolated and afraid, so he puts off the ascension and he goes to them. Jesus sees them in their pain and he goes to help them. I'm going to say that again because I think some of you need to hear that. Jesus saw them in their pain and he went to help them. What does he say to them in their time of need? hey guys, I I just rose from the dead, so don't worry, someday you'll die and rise from the dead too. No, he doesn't say that. Or maybe hang in there a little while longer because someday you'll die and you'll forget all about this hard stuff because you'll be in heaven. No. He says, peace be with you. This is present tense right now language. Language not peace be with you someday in heaven. He says, peace be with you right here and right now. In our culture, peace is kind of a a common term. We talk about peace treaties and, and making peace, and it's a word that just means the absence of conflict. But in the Bible, peace is so much more than that. In the Bible, a world filled with peace or shalom, like the Jewish people said, was God's original design, not simply a world with an absence of conflict. God's peace is perfect, abundant goodness for everything and between everything. Peace means God, humanity, and creation all experiencing perfect abundance themselves and working for the perfect abundance of each other. That's what peace looks like. This is what Jesus gives, extends to his friends in their time of need, not heaven after they die, not a promise to be fulfilled someday in the future. Jesus gives them peace, gives them shalom, gives them hope and help right then when they needed it most. Now look, I know it's not exactly the same, but I am absolutely struck by how similar our collective situation is to what the disciples were facing that day. Because right now, the vast majority of our country is stuck in a house, feeling isolated and afraid, just like the disciples were. Many of us have lost friends, we've lost jobs, we're struggling to hold on to hope in this truly unparalleled moment in history. But just like Jesus saw the disciples in their pain, Jesus sees us in ours. And just like he went to help them right then and right there, he comes to help us right here and right now. The resurrected Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. It's not just hope for someday, it's help right now. He isn't just offering us life after death, he wants us to experience life and peace and hope before death too. So how does this happen? How do we experience this? How do we grab a hold of this peace that Jesus is offering? Let me show you the last two verses from that passage in John's account. It explains it perfectly. Listen to the words of Jesus. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Two hugely important things happen in this verse. Number one, Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. If they had been paying attention during Jesus' life and teaching and the things he said before he died, they would have known this was coming. John 14, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus has told them before, things are gonna get really bad, I'm going to die but I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to go back to heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that spirit will give you peace and help and hope. The Holy Spirit is the source of Jesus's peace given to us. Peace isn't something we have to earn or achieve that we have to to work for, grab hold of. It's inside of us through the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. Jesus gives them peace through the spirit. And then number two, he sends them out to share that peace with the world. Just like the father has sent me, now I am sending you. Just like the father sent Jesus into the world to bring peace and hope, Jesus is sending the disciples and all of us into the world to bring peace and hope. These are the same two things that Jesus has given us. Peace and purpose. Jesus gives us peace And then he gives us purpose. He gives us his peace that transcends all our circumstances through the Holy Spirit in us. And then he gives us a purpose to share that peace with the world around us, wherever he has put you, wherever he has planted you. You are called to share that peace with the people in your life. Please, please don't miss this last part you are not the only one who needs this peace right now. I know you need it. I know I have desperately needed it this week, this crazy, hard, holy week. We need his peace, but you and I, we are not the only ones. The brokenness of our world has rarely been on fuller display than it has been over the past month. People are sick. People are dying. They are desperate and they are broke. They are isolated and they are afraid. And they need this peace from the resurrected Jesus. In a moment like this, people need more than the tired line that praying a prayer will get them to heaven when they die. A world as hurting and broken as ours is right now doesn't just need life after death, my friends. They need life before death too. They need more than a get out of hell free card. They need to know why the resurrected Jesus makes a difference right here and right now. They need to hear the story of the God who saw his friends hurting and wanted to help them who put off the ascension to go to a house and visit his friends. They need to hear about Jesus's peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the purpose we've been given. This is the message we've been sent out to share. God's peace is here through the Holy Spirit. And it's available to anyone and everyone who places their faith in Jesus. Jesus has come to bring us abundant life. I absolutely believe that abundant life is also eternal, but I also believe that that abundant eternal life starts right now, right now. Not just someday, not in heaven, but right here and right now. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Sharing the good news is the entirety of why I became a pastor, why we started this church four years ago. This was our purpose. We want people to experience the eternal and abundant life Jesus promised. We just don't think they have to wait until they die to experience it. We wanna help bring heaven to earth for people right here and right now. Think about it. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he didn't say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done someday up in heaven. No, He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, one filled with shalom, is here. Like N.T. Wright said, Jesus is raised. God's new creation has begun. We get to be a part of this family of God. We get to be bringers of this peace into whatever corners of the world we find ourselves in. We have peace and we have a purpose. We receive the gospel and we share the gospel. I wanna finish my time with you all this morning by reading a passage from one of my favorite authors. She shares a few stories about what it looks like to take our Jesus-given purpose really seriously and to tangibly share the good news of the gospel with the world around us. Rachel Held Evans passed away a year ago next month. The last book she published was this one, It's called Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. I have found these words from this book to be so inspirational as I seek to both rest in the peace that God has given us and to share that peace of the resurrected Jesus with others. So I hope it does the same for you. Here's what she says. Ask my sister Amanda about the gospel. She will tell you a story about a field hospital outside of Mosul, Iraq, and about a nurse she met there who, after dressing the wounds of toddlers in the children's ward, wasn't sure she could do the same for ISIS fighters in the enemy combatant ward. Amanda, who works for the relief organization Samaritan's Purse, will tell you about how this nurse did it anyway. Tending to the ISIS fighters with as much care as she tended to the children they had injured. Cleaning their wounds, changing their bedpans, and holding their hands as they died. To walk away from a ward of innocent victims to a ward full of perpetrators, Amanda wrote in an email to me, and to show equal love and service is not humanly possible. It's divine. It's the gospel. Amanda understands what it's like to live in that peace and to share that peace. Rachel says, ask my friend Nadia Boltz-Weber about the gospel and she will tell you about alcoholism and rebellion and recovery meetings, about finding Jesus at rock bottom and surprising everyone by getting ordained. The six foot one, heavily tattooed Lutheran priest who cusses like a sailor and still does a bit of stand up now and then will talk about starting a church in Denver for junkies and drag queens, doubters and survivors, and about how her job is to, quote, point to Christ and to preach the gospel and to remind people that they are absolutely loved, that none of their mess ups are more powerful than God's mercy. Nadia understands what it's like to live in the peace and what it's like to share the peace. Ask Sarah Miles about the gospel. She will tell you a story about how one day when she was 46, she wandered into an unfamiliar church in San Francisco, ate a piece of bread, took a sip of wine, and experienced a, quote, unexpected and terribly inconvenient Christian conversion. She will tell you about growing up atheist, enjoying a thoroughly secular life, and then in a single moment, falling in love with a religion rooted in the most ordinary yet subversive practice, a dinner table where everyone is welcome, where the despised and the outcasts are honored. Sarah would go on to partner with this church, St. Gregory's of Nyssa Episcopal Church, to create a massive food pantry one of the largest in the country where the poor, elderly, sick, homeless, and marginalized from the community are served each week from the very table where she took her first communion. No questions asked, no strings attached. Sarah Miles understands what it's like to live in the peace and what it's like to share that peace on purpose. Asked Augustine Asir, an Indian Christian from Chennai about the gospel, and he may tell you, a story about translating for Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, but he's more likely to tell you about his ministry among the people in India's lowest castes, those suffering from poverty, leprosy, and AIDS, whom he and his wife Hera love like their own. Ask the precocious first grader marching out of vacation Bible school with a Jesus-themed coloring book under her arm, and she will likely say, the good news is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so and she will be right, and they will all be right. The gospel means that every small story is a part of a sweeping story. Every ordinary life, a part of an extraordinary movement. God is busy making all things new, and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has opened up that work to everyone who wants in on it. This is... Just a couple of stories of what it looks like to live in that peace that surpasses all understanding that Jesus gave through his spirit to the disciples that day and has given to everyone who has ever asked. It's also what it looks like to not just live from it, but live for it, to go out on purpose and share the good news of Jesus, not just someday, but Today. If you have received the peace of Jesus, this is now your purpose. And listen, y'all, I'm telling you, humanity needs it right now. Now, if you haven't ever received this peace of Jesus that we've been talking about, I want you to know that he sees you Right where you are in your pain and your frustration and your hurt, and He wants to help you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from. Jesus wants to give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. Like Rachel said, Jesus has opened this up to everyone who wants in on it wherever and whenever you are watching this right now. Please don't go through another day in this crazy world without the peace of Jesus. If you are ready to receive it, I would love to help you walk through what that looks like. It's not complicated. You don't need to fix yourself. You don't need to clean yourself up. You just need to ask for some help from Jesus. He's ready to give it to you. If that's you, I would love to talk with you. You can email me directly and I promise I will get back to you today. I asked our team to put my email up on the screen there. It's my personal email, Zach at restoraustin.org. If you're ready to experience Jesus's peace in the midst of this pandemic, I'd love to hear from you. Now, if you've already received, remember to live in that peace. Remember to rest in it. Remember to find it deep within you because the Holy Spirit is there. Remember that the resurrected Jesus is with you through his spirit right here and right now. And remember your purpose, brothers and sisters, to share, to tangibly share the good news of Jesus with the world around you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. In one of the hardest holy weeks since maybe that very first one, for a lot of us, God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for giving us your spirit like you gave the disciples that day. Thank you for seeing us like you saw them that day. Thank you for coming to help us like you came to help them that day. Thank you that you are not a God who is far away. You are not a God who is removed, who looks down on humanity with carelessness, God. You look down on us and you are moved. You are moved by our brokenness, by our hurt, by our pain, so much so that not only did you come to earth, lay down your life and take it up again through the resurrection, but you put off the ascension to go visit your hurting friends. God, what a beautiful story. I pray that we would rest and remember that peace that you have given us. God, and then I pray that we would share it. We wouldn't hoard it, we wouldn't hold it only for ourselves but for a world that is quite literally dying and broken right now that we would share that peace with them. Not that tired line that if they pray a prayer, someday everything might get better in heaven but that there is real tangible hope today it's not just about life after death. It's about life before death too because you have come to bring us life and life abundantly. You've given us peace. You've given us a purpose. Help us to rest in, receive, and step out in faith into both of those things by the power of the resurrected Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.